Hello and welcome to How Books Are Made, a podcast about the art and science of making books. I'm Arthur Atwell. Back in 2014, I got to be part of something miraculous. Starting a children's book publisher that makes gorgeous books and then gives them away. That publisher is BookDash, an organization I co-founded with my wife Michelle and friend Taryn Ann Anderson. BookDash gathers creative professionals to create new picture books in a single 12-hour day. They're all volunteers and everything they create is a gift to the world. Creating a book in 12 hours is kind of insane. But it turns out that if you suck every wasted moment out of a publishing schedule, refine your systems and choose exactly the right people, it is possible. Not only possible, but the books themselves are really remarkable. In fact, if you're not driving right now, go to bookdash.org and have a look before you listen to any more. Seriously, you should pause this. That's bookdash.org and then just click books at the top. Okay? So, it's a big deal to get selected for a book dash. And someone we've called on a full six times to illustrate for us is Jess Jardim Verapol. Jess manages to make the monumental task of illustrating an entire book in a day seem completely normal. She's one of those people who probably isn't even aware of just how much she's had to learn and practice. Or she's just too humble and down to earth to say. Since 2014, BookDash has printed over a million free books for children, including tens of thousands of books that Jess illustrated, which makes her one of the most widely distributed children's book illustrators in the country. Now, I've been lucky to watch Jess at work at BookDash events and see scenes and characters appear on her screen as if by magic. But I know that nothing in publishing really happens by magic. There's hard-won craft at work there. So, I wanted to speak to Jess to find out more about how she approaches book design and illustration, what it's like to work under that kind of pressure, and what she reckons are important skills for young designers and illustrators who want to make books. Jess, it is so great to talk to you. Uh, for people who don't know, you and I have collaborated on children's books at BookDash, and I want to talk about BookDash later. Mm -hmm. But right now, what are you working on at the moment? Uh, so this might actually be a surprise to you because I don't share a lot of my current work on social media or anything like that. But for the last one year, minus three days, I've been working at Get Smarter, uh, which is an ed tech startup in Cape Town that was acquired by 2U, which is a global ed tech uh, umbrella company, about two or three years ago. Uh, so yeah, I... I do still illustrate uh, freelance occasionally in my spare time, but the majority of my time at the moment is spent designing course graphics for uh, universities overseas, which is something of a change of pace. That's really cool. That's another company that must be, I hope, doing quite well. They're, they're a good crew, and I've, I've known the Get Smarter crew for a very long time, but you must be busy there. Uh, yeah, no, it's been, it's been amazing. Um, but yeah, before I started at Get Smarter, I was full-time freelance, illustrating for a lot of sort of advertising clients and then the occasional book job. And prior to that, I was in advertising and social media for about three years. Yes, because you worked at uh, an agency and then kind of transitioned to working independently and more and more as an illustrator specifically. Yeah, it was a, <laughs> it was a bit of a wild ride. 
there's a so I, I was at Nicework for about three years right at the beginning of my career. And then I took a little break. It was like only a month and a half or so to travel for a while. Came back, worked at Cerebra, uh, which is a social media agency who's now been acquired by Wonderman uh, for six months or so. And then I was the marketing manager at City Rock, uh, the climbing gym for about six months. There was a, a point in between there where I had a mild nervous breakdown about not wanting to work in advertising <laughs> anymore, uh, which would be embarrassing if I hadn't documented it extensively on my blog. It's a great post. I have read it. It's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. So, you know, I cried in a bathroom at McCann Erickson and then ran away. Yeah. And then after City Rocket was sort of the, the palate cleanser I needed to start moving back into the type of work I was doing before. And after about six months at City Rock, I was lucky enough to be connected with Stephen Hobbs from the Trinity Session, which is a public art collective that operates in Johannesburg. Um, and they do a lot of consulting and organization for public art projects in the city of Joburg. And they have a very heavy focus on involving people who live in the communities they operate in with the art that they're installing. So if you see them putting up a mural or a sculpture or anything like that, uh, there's usually been about a year or more of very extensive collaboration with artists who live in the community. Um, so I sort of helped them out with that kind of developing a visual application for projects that they're working on so for instance they'll need a sculpture but then they'll speak to like a nursery school that operates in the area and have the children do drawings and then you have to figure out how to translate a bunch of wax crayon illustrations to a concrete sculpture of a certain size but yeah it's been a it was a real mixed bag of freelance before I started to get smarter and now I still freelance on the side but I because I now have a full-time job have the, the um the luck to be very selective about the clients I work with now because it's uh, not my 100% of my livelihood. That's fantastic. I love the story about how your book dash uh, volunteering connected you to people that led on to other other books as well. I just it's one of our favorite things at Book Dash to know that Book Dash connects people. Well, if I if I take anything away from the experience is that uh, when I have spoken to groups of students before, it's been to just have a business card with you at any point, just in case. Because I have extremely vivid memories of my first book dash of all time being out of my mind with stress trying to illustrate this entire watercolor book in 12 hours and having uh, Sarah, who gave me my first published book, come up and ask me if I had a business card and have to sort of like write down my number for her on a scrap of paper and hope to God that she would remember who I was and why she had it. And it was the book that came out of that uh, Charlie and B. Yes, that's right. Fantastic. It's such a, such a gorgeous book. Oh, thank you. So... I want to talk about the Book Dash experience and specifically about what I still think is one of the most amazing pieces of bookmaking I've ever seen, which was you illustrating and designing a book <laughs> in a day at Book Dash. But uh, first, let's set the scene. So I'm going to just describe a normal Book Dash and then we'll describe what that particular day was like for you. So we're in a room of about 40 people and they're each working in teams. Each team has a writer, an illustrator, and a designer, and each team is going to produce a finished children's book in 12 hours, which seems kind of insane until you actually do it at a book dash and it actually works, which is pretty amazing. And then the books that everyone creates are shared freely online, and they're also printed and given away to children. Actually, I should, I should mention right now that, that book dash has given away tens of thousands of your books, so that's really pretty amazing. So um, you've been a big, a big part of a lot of children's lives. 
as I said, normally those teams are three people, writer, illustrator, and designer. But on that one day, I think we were one person short and you felt you could handle two roles, designer and illustrator. So <laughs> yeah, just tell me a bit more about what it's like to create a book dash book and what that particular day was like. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> it was a definite exercise in humility for me. Because what had happened is that we did have a team of three set up as usual. And then Julia contacted me, I think, literally maybe a day and a half before the dash and said, like, we're really sorry, we have to take your designer away because someone else has dropped at the last minute. And at that point, I'm counting on my hands here. I think at that point, I'd done three book dashes already as an illustrator. And it was probably for that reason that uh, you guys thought I could maybe handle it because you'd, uh, you'd seen me handle the illustration workload. And I definitely went into it feeling a little bit cocky because uh, my team on the third book dash I did, which was my special hair, had just worked really well. We all gelled extremely well together. There were very minimal, minimal changes. Everyone was in a great mood and sort of riding that high. And I think we literally finished our entire book about two hours early and we were sitting outside drinking wine while everybody else was in crunch time. So when you guys asked me to come in and do design and illustration on the same book on the same day, I was sort of like, oh, well, you know, it worked out fine last time. I can totally handle this. Uh, it's a point of pride for me at every book dash that if I am stressing out, I will never show it on the surface because I know that it's a very stressful situation for the guys organizing it, trying to get everything done on time. And there's people who are there for the first time who are kind of looking to people who've done the experience before to see if they should be panicking. So I'm usually very level-headed and <laughs> chilling out. That that book dash where I was doing two roles in one day, I think it was the first time I've ever snapped at anyone who came to check on me and then I felt so awful afterwards. But yeah, I think it's I think that book turned out really well. And it was I was lucky in that respect that the the author of uh, What's at the Park, Dave Mann, and I knew each other from uh, working in the ad industry and adjacent industries before that. So there wasn't a lot of get to know you time. We just sort of said, oh, yeah, it's you. And then got down to business, which really helped. When you're preparing for Book Dash, what are the pieces of the puzzle that you want to get in place before you get there in the morning? In your, in your kind of workspace and your tools and so on? Um, I, in terms of like mental preparation, I try very hard not to commit to any kind of imagery, sometimes because the book can change relatively substantially in the first round of edit, which only occurs on the day. Um, so just in terms of picturing like exactly what things are going to look like, I try not to get too married to anything, although I generally will come with a prepped character design for the main character or characters. And then just generally sort of chatting very uh, colloquially to the designer and author, not even about the book, just to kind of get a feel for their type of personality. Because uh, I think you really need to get to know each other a little bit beforehand so that there's no clashes on the day that you feel like you can't resolve just in terms of working together because it's already so stressful. I would say like trying to get a style mentally nailed down is important, although at this point sort of by like the time of my special hair, I'd really figured out what style was, you know, easy to do really quickly and look as complete as possible. So that that level of preparation has kind of fallen away the more book dashes I've done because I can just lapse back into quote unquote book dash style uh, every time. You seem to be perennially prepared though. I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> I love watching illustrators work and 
you are a prime example of someone who is sitting there, you're working, if I remember, into a tablet, but with a dizzying array of brushes and uh, obviously color palettes and backgrounds that you seem to just know so well, almost like an extension of, of your pencil. What goes into creating, creating that palette of brushes and everything else and, and being familiar with them? I mean, I think the nice thing about that book dash style is that it's so easy to work in, I say the book dash style, my book dash style. Um, and the nice thing about the fact that it's so easy to work in is that it's also the style I default to when I'm just drawing for fun at home by myself. Um, so a lot of the the finessing of like working with specific brushes and stuff like that really just comes from kind of an inherent sense of familiarity that you kind of develop by accident if you lapse into the same style all the time. I will say like the the brushes, well, the brush that I use, there is one brush. It's Kyle Webster's Ultimate Pastel Brush that comes standard with Photoshop these days. And it works perfectly at multiple sizes. And it's one of those things that I'm sure other illustrators will know exactly what I'm talking about, where there's a lot of Photoshop brushes that look beautiful at a certain point size, but if you try to scale them very high up or down, they kind of break. Um, and that specific brush style is really nice, the Carl Webster one that I use, because I can just be, have the same brush set up all day <laughs> and just keep resizing it because it works really well no matter what size it is. And then what I have started doing, especially with the great tidy up where we knew that the narrative of the book would require a lot of the spreads to look quite populated and chaotic when we didn't necessarily have time to draw a lot of props, uh, is sitting at home the day before and making a bunch of very scribbly, chaotic-looking backgrounds that could be recolored on the fly and swapped out by the designer, not me, so that that would leave extra time to be drawing characters. Because we also had a book with basically three main characters in it, which is kind of book-suicide. <laughs> I, that's the thing. Each character, you've got to really get to know well enough to be able to illustrate them doing pretty much anything and times that by three and things get really hairy on the day. Yeah. And it also does depend on what action is taking place in the book because, um, like, for instance, with Unati and the Dirty Smelly Beast, she's basically standing and walking the whole time. So I basically had a character model prepped where all of her limbs were on different layers and then just reposed her and redrew her face every time. But with something like The Great Tidy Up, they needed to be doing actual activities like washing clothes and hanging things and running around. So the characters really did need to be completely redrawn for most of the spreads. I think we uh, we really went into that book with uh, a lot of high ambition. <laughs> I mean, it worked out well, but uh, <laughs> I sort of made things very difficult for myself in a lot of ways. Am I right that your very first book, Dash, when you did Is There Anyone Like Me? That was it, right? Was that done in physical media I don't remember you working digitally, that one. Yeah, it was watercolor. I don't think it was a conscious decision either. I think what happened was partly because I didn't have a very reliable tablet set up at the time. So I wasn't super confident doing the whole thing digitally, even though I knew in some way that it would be faster. But also, like I'm sure you know the process, but for people who don't, to be involved in a book dash even though it's a volunteer thing and sort of like, like the volunteers are helping you, it's like a very competitive process where you have to submit your portfolio of books you've worked on before and what your illustrations look like and kind of uh, prove yourself in a way that you can handle uh, an ask like that. And I hadn't done a lot of professional illustration before I signed up for BookDash and I got accepted on a portfolio that, if I remember correctly, was a lot of physical drawings. <laughs> So I think the worry was that I had kind of applied to participate based on what my watercolor work looked like. 
And if I rocked up with a tablet, you guys were going to like get mad and send me home. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, I guess I'm doing this book in watercolor then. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. You made your own life hard that that day. But I think that we now see most illustrators at Book Dashes are using tablets. Uh, Fewer and fewer use watercolor or any other kind of physical media. Mm. Do you reckon that illustrators generally are just becoming more uh, accustomed to working digitally? And do you think that's like a really necessary skill for young illustrators? Yeah, it's definitely part of it. And unfortunately, um, that is the case. Yeah, I think especially um, in book illustration specifically, it it really does save a lot of time if you can work fast uh, in a digital setting. And also if you're working as a young illustrator in South Africa and you want to start into uh, like creating books for international publishers, uh, you're going to need to be able to become familiar with the digital workspace. And there are like illustrators overseas who've been working for a very long time who do work exclusively in physical media and it can be done. But I think also working in illustration in South Africa, you will be more likely to end up working in things like advertising and social media as opposed to illustrating books. And the nature of the beast there is that if you, for instance, do an illustration for a digital campaign, it needs to be able to be printed as a billboard and a half pager in a newspaper and also used as a Facebook banner. And you might need to move elements around and resize them. Uh, which is also a big part of the book dash illustration process is being able to reuse things on multiple spreads, uh, which is just a, a much more of a learning curve to do in terms of creating a physical painting and scanning it and cutting things out and touching up a scan and moving things around. Uh, and it's a pity because it's really nice to see young um, up and coming illustrators becoming very proficient in, for instance, one type of physical media but it's going to be harder to get hired if you're not very versatile and pretty well-versed already in working on a computer. What do you reckon are things you wish you had known a while back about working digitally that illustrators just starting out might find really useful? I think (laughs) just in terms of very practical stuff, um, understanding the different kinds of color space, and this is like a very nerdy answer. We did learn it when I was in design college where RGB is for screen and CMYK is for print. And then you get a couple of other color spaces that work better for things like um, designing for gaming. But yeah, things like that I sort of glossed over when we were in college because I was like, oh, you know, they'll, you know, I'll figure this out as I go along. And I think what's happening now a lot with the advent of things like Procreate um, and other tablet apps where kids are learning to draw digitally at like the age of 14 is that they get very, very proficient in artwork, but then they have no idea how to set their artwork up in such a way that it will print correctly. And it's sort of like a weird little thing, but it's a very big deal where if you, for instance, get into a job in a more uh, commercial advertising-centered role based on the merit of your portfolio rather than having gone to design college, then you don't know what you don't know. And then you can, for instance, end up accidentally creating work at 72 DPI RGB, which is a digital color space and sizing. And then you find out it needs to be printed and have to redo it completely. Yeah. We've had cases in BookDash where an illustrator has got quite far on the day and then realized that they haven't allowed for bleed, uh, but they're working in a raster format. And they now their files are literally like resolution-wise or size-wise off and can't be used. So... Yeah, it's really important to understand that stuff. I mean, I mm. remember as a young editor, publisher, going on tours of printing companies and realizing that there was a whole area of science and art around 
turning digital signals into paper, colored paper that was just so deep and complex and and really, really interesting too, at least mm. for yeah, publishing nerds like you and I. But yeah, I think especially in a South African context, it's it's very frustrating for young people who want to get into kind of artwork as a job because it's so expensive to study and the majority of people in this country are not in the position to get an entire degree in illustration or design before they start working. But then there almost needs to be like a six-week finishing school where it's sort of like, okay, well, you can learn to draw at home. That is a skill that you can develop entirely independently. But here are the things you need to know if you want to actually do it for a living and come onto the playing field with the same level of knowledge as someone who has got a four-year degree and knows all of this stuff. One of the things that I find quite exciting at the moment is the growing number of design software applications and choices that designers have, many of which are free for the time. You could really only do design work in Illustrator and Photoshop. And now those options seem to be growing. What do you reckon are kind of great options for a designer who might not be able to afford a monthly Adobe Creative Cloud subscription, but wants to work digitally in design or in illustration? I'm probably not the best person for this because I do still have a Creative Cloud subscription and I haven't branched out too much. Uh, But I will say my husband lectured at the animation school in Rosebank for a year And they are quite committed to teaching their students about apps that are open source or completely free uh, because they do understand the challenges of not being able to pay for expensive software. Uh, So I'll tell you from that experience that he had that for digital painting, Krita, uh, that's K-R-I-T-A, is a really good option as an open source digital painting app. Um, I've seen a lot of people online using it as well. Uh, But I think anything, I mean, GIMP is picking up I think we used it we used it as an alternative to Photoshop when I was in college when it was just starting to become popular and it was still very clunky, but I only hear good things about it now. And then I mean there's um 3D design alternatives like Blender as well, which is just incredible these days. I also I played around in it a little bit at college. Um and it's basically completely equivalent now to Maya or Cinema 40 or any of the other 3D apps that you pay a lot of money for. One of the things that you've do, seem to do really easily is span illustration and design headspaces. And they're quite, I see them as quite distinct modes of creativity. At Bookdash, obviously, you've had opportunities to combine them. Do you think that they are, for you, different headspaces? Do you go into your design headspace versus into your illustration headspace? I think I have had the benefit of working for a long time in a very commercial space. And I think it's it's worked out better for me than, for instance, if someone studied pure illustration or maybe fine art and then tried later to move their art in a more commercial direction. Um, so starting out in a world where the artwork you have to do to do your job has a lot of boundaries and corporate style guides and stuff like that means that you work within limitations, but still as creatively as you possibly can, especially if you are a very recently graduated student who is just desperate to make cool stuff, but then you have to do it in like the ABSA colors or whatever. So I think that has really helped. I think it it has hampered me creatively a little bit, definitely, because I, for a very long time, found it difficult to sit down and just draw for fun without having a brief. Like I have to have some kind of project structure. I can't just sit and draw pretty pictures. And I know there's a lot of people who can just do that, and I'm very jealous of them. But it does help in terms of illustrating for work to be able to go relatively seamlessly between illustration and design and back again and look at them as parts of the same whole. Because what we did a lot when I was at Nice Work, especially is that 
you know, it's easier to hire a lot of very creative people and then teach them to work within boundaries than it is to teach people who are very good at boundaries how to be creative. Uh, so NiceWork was staffed by a lot of people with very strong illustration portfolios who were very interested in more experimental design work. And then when you did have the opportunity and had a client come in and go like, okay, well, then we need to work on this sort of coffee table book type of thing we're doing for our investors. And there's like a style guide, but there's not, then everyone would sort of jump on the project and go like, oh, well, you need illustration. (laughs) And usually they did. It was interesting to, for instance, be an illustrator who had worked in sort of like a very zine kind of crunchy avant-garde style and then kind of pitch clients like maybe you need some cool watercolors for your annual report and then have to be able to do that still within the boundaries of their style guide, but also make it look good and satisfy your desire to be creative about it. So yeah, I think for a while there, I felt like I was being stifled by working in advertising, but it really has helped me kind of create within a box if I need to do that. I was having a look at the ICC report that you were part of at Nice Work, and that looked really beautiful. It looked like you really brought some creative page layouts uh, to that book. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> Thank you. I think that was also an example of a job where it could have been a very boring layout, but the client was really enthusiastic about it making about making it a very beautiful and interesting design. Uh, so the the guy who we were working with was just extremely open to like kind of breaking the layout occasionally and just, you know, using colors in an interesting way. And I really appreciated that. I think that job came in when I've been working in the industry for maybe two years. And it it felt very rare at the time <laughs> to work with a, a sort of corporate minded client who was who was willing to experiment like that with us. I also wanted to talk about the digital book projects you've worked on. To start with the Snaplify Classics covers. Those are really beautiful book covers. Tell me more about that project. Thank you. So what essentially happened is that uh, Snaplify has a library section on their platform with uh, ebooks that are completely free, which I think is really smart because being a South African platform, people aren't as sold on the idea of ebooks as they are internationally. So the idea of going like, okay, well, if you download the app, there's all these free books here. It's uh, things that are in the public domain via projects like Project Gutenberg. And then it's sort of a bit of a draw card where people download the app and then they have it on their phone for all the free books and then they start seeing like new fiction coming out. So maybe they'll buy a few. So the obviously the main issue there was that Project Gutenberg has just thousands of titles um, and Snaplify wanted to make all of them available, but just the the sheer level of budget alone to illustrate covers for each individual book would have been completely astronomical. And the problem with classics like the ones on Project Gutenberg is that the text is public domain, but the original cover illustrations are not. So we sort of needed to come up with a plan where I could create 10 covers and one would be for fiction, one would be for Shakespeare, one would be for poetry, one would be for kind of science-y nonfiction, uh, that type of thing. And then they could be applied to any book in that category. And then uh, staff on Snaplify's design team could just change the name and the author and then that would be enough. And that was a really fun one to work on. Like obviously the the ones for sort of science, nonfiction and business books um, are sort of more generic stock illustration looking things Uh, but then specifically for the poetry fiction Shakespeare and children's categories I had a lot of fun sort of putting a whole bunch of easter eggs in there where people would look at the illustrated collage on the cover and try and figure out what all the references were yeah they're really beautiful I could see I've spent some time myself trying to spot all the references (laughs) they're great fun thank you and then you worked on Tandiwe and in Kanyamba the South African retelling of the princess and the frog for Mm. Roundifier I was curious to know what it's like 
illustrating a book when you know that book isn't going to be on paper, like it's going to be an app. Does that change the way you kind of think about book illustration or is it a book like any other? Uh, some of one, some of the other. Um, I think one of the big differences uh, designing for uh, e-readers in general is that you can go a little bit more nuts with the color because if you like if you you're listening and you're a designer, you know, so working in in CMYK, you can't go crazy bright with a lot of things if a book is just going to be printed by a normal process printing method. So you'll see like Tandiwa and the Inkanyamba is pretty bright in a lot of places. And I really enjoyed just working in an RGB space. Um, so that's a, a consideration. And also like I am a bit of a, a different person to talk to in terms of book publishing as an industry in general, because I've worked mainly for um, nonprofit organizations and self-published authors. I haven't worked with major publishers. Um, but what you learn from that is that if someone only has say 15,000 Rand to have their book illustrated and they're paying for the entire thing out of pocket, you have to come up with a lot of really creative ways to save their money and spend less time on it. And a lot of the time that involves having illustrations that are just a single spot color or like a really small one just on one page instead of having full bleed on every single page. And obviously if you're e-publishing, that just goes completely out the window and you can do whatever you want with the illustration because you don't have to worry about how expensive the printing is going to get, which was really fun. I haven't checked out the app. I should go and have a look and uh, and find it there. Well, Jess, thank you so much for spending some time talking about these things. I love the nerdy detail and the big picture stuff um, and love your work. So really appreciate you joining me here today. Well, thanks for having me. I look forward to listening to all the other episodes. Thank you for spending your time with us. You can be part of the show if you send us your own bookmaking stories, topics and conundrums. And you can do that at howbooksaremade.com. If you haven't already, Please subscribe in your podcast player and leave a review. It really helps others find out about the show. Our Books Are Made is supported by Electric Bookworks, where my team and I make books all day, every day, in sunny Cape Town, South Africa.